If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 11. We're going to finish up 11 and jump in to Romans 12 today. And as you do, just want to pray and ask God's blessing upon what we're going to talk about today. Father, God, your word is, is so good. It is so true. And as we look at it this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the ears and the eyes to see uh, what it is we're missing, what it is, Lord, that we need from you uh, today. So clear our minds, clear uh, our head as we focus and think through uh, what it means to surrender our life to you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Romans 11, we're going to begin to get there. Uh, so, so here's the deal about this letter. The letter was written by a guy named Paul. Uh, he wrote it to the church in Rome. That's why we call it Romans. And for the first 11 chapters, he is deep in theology. We started this back in March, a year and a half ago. So we've been in this book for a while. And so from that time, we've, we've been looking at some very serious doctrine. I mean, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, justification by faith, the atonement, uh, God's love, God's grace. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the deep truth that we have, have learned. And some of you didn't even know you were learning theology, but you were learning theology. And, and uh, it was deep, and it was awesome. And what Paul does here in Romans 12 is he shifts gears. Anytime you see the word therefore, it, it kind of uh, includes us into there's a big shift about to take place. And so for the first 11 chapters, he's talking about the, uh, the sinfulness of man. He's talking about how we can't earn our salvation and the worthlessness of works and, and on and on and on. All this deep, awesome, amazing theology. And he shifts gears and he, be, he begins to talk about something that we talk a lot about here at Foothills Church. And that is relationships. So, and what he's basically saying is, once you get the right theology, then you'll begin to have the right relationships, okay? And, and, and so, uh, when we begin to understand and learn the theology and depth of God, then we can begin to have the relationships that he wants us to experience in our life. And so, a lot of us walk in here with a train wreck of relationships, and, and there's like a, a trail behind us of mass destruction because every relationship we're in seems to be in, in turmoil. And so, it's important that when we, we learn this truth, we learn this theology, it is applied practically into our relationships. So, listen, if all you do is learn a bunch of stuff, learn theology, learn all these words, learn about God, memorize God's word, all great things. But if all we're doing is, is accumulating knowledge, then we just know a bunch of stuff. I mean, what we're after here is maturity. I mean, we want to we wanna grow and be mature in our faith and close to Jesus. And so in order for us to do that, we've got to take this theology, we've got to take this knowing, this knowledge, and we've got to apply it to our life. So when Jesus calls us to love one another, we've got to suck it up and start hating other people. Instead of, you know, being rude and obnoxious and hateful towards people, we have to allow that theology to mold our actions, our thoughts, our words, our responses, our time. And we need to practically begin to love people. Just one example. So right theology leads to right relationships. Um, have you ever just wanted to kind of take the wheel from God? You know, it's like, God, I've, 
I know you're a good driver and all, but I'm going to sit in the driver's seat for a little bit, and I'm just going to kind of take the wheel here. I don't know how good of a driver I am, am God, but I'm just going to kind of take it. If you were here at the pre-service, man, what an awesome song. Rachel did amazing. Rachel is a a, a dear friend. Her entire family is a dear friend to, to our family. She's a senior, believe it or not, at Grace Academy. So did you guys miss that? You got to get her early, man. Jesus, take the wheel. She knocked it out of the park. It was amazing. Anyway, some of us, we just kind of want to take the wheel. We just want to take the reins from God, don't we? It's like, God, I know you kind of got it in control. I know you kind of got the whole deal. And you're, I mean, I know you're God and you're smart and all, but, but I think I'll drive for a minute. We just kind of take control of our life, take control of the direction of our life and the course of our life. And, and, and God, we realize that you're, you're good and all and that you're smart and all. But right now, I think I'm just going to you know, kind of take the wheel and, and kind of lead the charge here. And, and ultimately, if things are going okay in your life, you, 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 you're, you're kind of cool with that. And it's okay. It's like things are pretty steady. But inevitably, if you're taking the wheel and you're driving and you're making the decisions based on what you know, and you're doing your thing and leaving God out of the picture, if you're doing that, ultimately there's going to be some, some bumps in the road. There's going to be some, some unexpected things take place. And when those unexpected things begin to take place, confusion begins to set up into your heart. And it's like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And God, because, because you're, you know, God... And I know I've been driving the wheel and driving this show because you're doing it no matter what I'm facing, no matter what problems I have, God. Because of all of that, you know, I expect you to fix it. And if you don't fix it, God, then I'm going to blame you and, and I might just altogether write you off. I, I might stop going to church. I might just stop, you know, thinking about you or trying you altogether. I'm just going to write you off. See, when we take the wheel... And we're leading the charge. Circumstances that we did not expect take place. And we're quick to blame God. We're quick to judge God. And we're quick to point our finger at God and say, You owe me. You're supposed to do this and fix this. And today, what I want us to look at is that as we begin to to, to have this desire to know God's will in our life, with all the confusion, with all the stress, with all the junk that happens in life, if we want to know what God's will is for our life, I mean, I mean, really, what, what does God want me to do? And we've all probably said, God, I'll do, you know, just, just tell me, write it on the wall, you know, put it in the clouds, give me a sign, you know, show me what you want me to do. And it's like it doesn't work that way. And so what is the, the process? I mean, how do we understand his will? Well, I think we're going to learn here. Uh, today's part one, next week is part two on how we really understand and discover God's will. But here's the deal about God's will. It's not a three-step process. It's not a, you know, one, two, three, and then boom, here it is. It's not, it's not a magical formula that we kind of put together and then boom, we understand it. It's about a posture. It's the way that we position our life before God. In other words, it's our attitude. It's how we live. It's the posture that we live before God, that we begin to understand his will and he begins to reveal it to us. Let's just take a look here, beginning where we left off last week in verse 33. He's talked about all of these great, amazing truths and about our salvation. And he says, oh, the depths, the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge 
of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, in some of your Bibles, the heading of that, uh, that little passage there is going to say doxology. Uh, how many of you guys grew up in a doxology church? Anybody? Okay, just a few of you guys. Some of you are like, a what church? Man, I'm a Christian, bro. I don't, you know. No, the doxology is, you know, when they take up the offering and then the guys and, and it would bring it to the front of the, of right, like right here where like a table would be and they would sing that song. Anybody want to, you know, volunteer to sing that song today? <laughs> Praise him from whom all blessings flow. You know, and then the guy, I won't go, I won't give you any more. That's all you get. But, but doxology is a cool word. Uh, it's made up of two words. The first word is doxa, and doxa is Greek for glory. And so uh, it's also what we call our high school night of worship on Wednesday nights at 6.30 if your kids aren't involved. It's an awesome, awesome experience for, for middle school. It's the bridge, but doxa means glory. The second part is ology. So that, that, these two words combine. The ology is the statement. It's the, it's the revelation, the statement. And so doxology, the doxa and ology together means the glory statement. And so this is, this is God's glory statement. And this is like Paul is saying all this deep theology, all this deep stuff for, for, for all this time. And then he's like, this is the glory statement. This is the glory unpacked because of everything that God has done. This is who he is. He is bigger than your problems. He is bigger than your relationships. He's bigger than your finances. He is bigger than life itself for through him and from him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. He is bigger than anything that we can imagine. And so this is what he says. He says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable or incomprehensible his ways. So, so who, who has known God's mind? Maybe you know God's mind. I mean, I have a hard time reading, you know, my wife's mind, let alone God's mind. So it's like, I don't have a clue. And, and if I ever kind of get a hint that I think I do, then I read something else in the New Testament. I'm like, oh man, I don't have a clue, you know. And so who has known the mind of God? He's pretty bright. He's, he's pretty amazing. I mean, God is not like getting advice from anybody. He's not, you know, Skyping with somebody or, or you know, uh, eye chatting or getting on the phone calling for advice or encouragement from somebody else because he knows all. Nobody has known his mind. For who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Or who's been his counselor? So, I mean, who, is God going to like, you know, see the psychologist and he's like laying in the lazy boy. He's getting billed by the hour. Who's prescribing God medicine for his issues and his problems? And, and how is he working through, you know, uh, you know, making decisions in the world? I mean, who's helping him? He's like, nobody. He's pretty awesome. He's pretty amazing. You, you, you can't even comprehend his intelligence in his glory. You can't comprehend who he is. He is God Almighty. He doesn't need a counselor. Nobody's going to counsel him. He's not sitting back in the lazy chair looking for advice, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. Now, man, this one, I'm just going to be honest, this one, this one trips me up a little bit. Who, who has given to God? Because, man, I've given to God. 
You know, I, my family has sacrificed for the church. I mean, I, I've given my life to, to, to ministry, and man, I, I give and give for, you know, this church, and so I've given to God, haven't I? He says, who's, who's given to God that he might be repaid? Have I really, have I really given to God? Let me explain it by talking about the Godfather. <laughs> Unlikely illustration. So, uh, the Godfather is a good movie, okay? Watch it on TV. Don't, you know, not DVD, but watch it on TV. Here's the thing. In the very beginning, the first episode, which is the best one, guy comes to the Godfather asking him for a favor, okay? You guys, you're with me, right? Some, some of you, some of you aren't going to admit that you've seen the show, but uh, he asks him for a favor, and he says, all right, I'll give it to you. And he said, there's going to come a time, there's going to come a day when... I'm going to call upon your services. <laughs> you know, and he's doing this to his chin, and he's kind of got the raspy voice, and he's like, I'm going to call upon you for a favor, and you're going to do what I ask you to do. And, the, and kind of the, the, the kind of side note is there, and if you don't, <laughs> you're going to be, you know, sleeping with the fishes. So, so you're going to have to repay me. And so the idea for the Godfather was, yeah, I'm going to give you, and then later I'm going to ask for a favor, and you're going to give it back to me. And sometimes, I mean, let's, let's just be honest with yourself. Sometimes you give with that expectation. We'll donate, we'll sacrifice, we'll give with the expectation that later I'm going to need a favor, bro, and you better step in or I might just leave or I might just back out. Now that's, sin, that's sinfulness and that's not true motives. When we give, we ought to be able to give and, and not expect a, a handshake, a high five, a wave, a, a thank you. We give out of the, 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 the gifts that God has given to us. But, but we come into that mentality thinking like that. And sometimes we go to God with that mentality. So God, I gave to you. And so when sickness comes or when trouble comes or my teenager is messing around, God, I, remember when I gave you, God, remember when I was serving you, God, you owe me. You owe me an answer, man. I was, I was serving you. Look at, look at what I've given. God, you owe me. And the Bible says, who has given to God that God should repay him? In other words, God, God doesn't have any debt. He doesn't owe you anything. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, you've not giving, given anything to God that he doesn't already own. And the quicker we can accept that truth, the easier it's going to be to give and to be a giver. Because when we think it's ours, then it's kind of mine versus what God is going to take from me. But when we understand who's given to God, that he should repay them. Like, like we give something to God and like now he owes us something. No, we give to God what he already owns. And so we are showing to him that we are stewarding his possessions. Kids, money, job, health, talent, you name it, it all belongs to God and he can take and do with as he pleases. God doesn't owe you a thing. Save one thing, he owes you judgment. That's the only thing he owes you. That's the only thing he owes me. That's the, the price and penalty for our sin. But his mercies, this is what chapter 12 says, and I appeal to you brothers in view of the mercies of God. Because of his goodness, because of his love, he wants us to offer to him. So <clears throat> some of it 
still struggle with this. Let, let me just give an illustration. Some of you guys might have worked at um, McDonald's at one point in your life. And so we, I kind of like McDonald's every now and then. And, and so I was thinking about it, you know, <clears throat> you get a paycheck from McDonald's, let's say. And so you get that paycheck and you think, well, that's my money. That, that's mine. And then you're just like, well, wh- let's think about it a little bit deeper. How did you get that money? Well, people, you know, customers come into McDonald's, they order, you know, Happy Meal, Big Mac. And then, you know, because they give, then I, I get, well, <clears throat> I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Let's just trace it back a little bit further. 1958 is where it all began. A guy named Ray Kroc was selling uh, mixers. So the business was about to go under. Nobody was buying mixers except for one company ordered eight. So he goes to San Bernardino, California with these eight mixers. And he's like, what's going on here? He sees this little operation by these two brothers with the last name McDonald's, by the way. Not with the S, just McDonald. And so he begins to see, man, this is pretty awesome. You guys have a really cool system. Let's make this a franchise. Let's do this all over the world. Five years later, he owns the company name. And they're selling millions of hamburgers by the year. I mean, before 1965 even hits, they're in the millions of hamburgers. So, so, so let's trace it back. He, he creates a system of franchising restaurants where you can go in business for yourself but not by yourself. And so this revolutionizes business. Matter of fact, some of you are in business today because of what, what has happened in his life. Today, we know that there are 119 countries with the McDonald's. So you can pretty much go anywhere and get a you know, Happy Meal. You get some, some of those golden fries. You know, we're getting hungry. 33,000 restaurants worldwide and 1.7 million employees. So this is not how it happened back in 1958. Ray Kroc's sitting on the you know, park bench, and he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. God, you're going to have to sit down. I'm about to blow your mind. Chicken nuggets. Boom. It's good. It's happy meal. It's, it's going to have a toy in it, and kids are going to go nuts. God, that just blew your mind. No, it doesn't happen like that at all. Ray Kroc is doing his business. He's about to go out of business, you know, for that matter. And God, you know, is like, all right, Mr. Kroc, you're going to have to have a seat because what I'm about to tell you is going to blow your mind. And God gives him the brain and the intuition to know and to do the things that he has done and blessed him and his efforts along the way. So let's trace it back. Where does our paycheck come from? Well, the idea and the success and all the stuff that happened as is, is a result of God. God giving, God birthing, and as a result, there's a, you know, a restaurant you know, built in Maryville where you got your job and maybe your start, and then you got your first paycheck because customers were coming that God was sending and that, that, that God initially gave to a guy named Ray Kroc and to enable you to even have a job there, and everything comes from God. Every paycheck you get comes from God. Every talent that you have comes from God. The very breath that you are taking is a gift from God. So when I serve him, when I, when I go into ministry, when my family sacrifices, we're not serving and giving to him anything that doesn't already belong to him. But this is my spiritual worship. It is my offering of my body as a living sacrifice. Let's talk about that. Let's, 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 let's get into kind of the practical stuff here. How do you discover God's will? Again, it's about a posture, how you're living your life. And the first thing that I would say if you're taking notes is it starts with the posture of surrender. 
the posture of surrender, that you and I have surrendered our will to God. So, so here's what we like to do. God, tell me your will, and then I'll pray about it and see if I'm going to do it. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way with God. So when we have a posture of surrender, we say, God, the answer is yes. Tell me what you want me to do. There's a difference there. Some of us like to know so that we can decide, and some of us decide, and then we know. And that's the way that God works. When we commit fully to God, when we commit 100% to God, that God, this is for you and to you and through you, and I'm serving you, and I want to bless you, God, and I don't care who thanks me or who says I'm awesome or anything else. I am going after you to serve you. You are watching. I am living my life for you. The answer is yes. What do you want me to do? See, that's a little bit different than what we typically see. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice to know God's will, to to say yes to God's will in advance is a posture of surrender. For most of us, though, we want all the answers. We want to know and we want to see and we want to have this, 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 this long kind of played out, write it all down for me, God. And, and if I do that, Lord, you know, tell me what's going to happen to my kids and, and then tell me what's going to happen financially. And then tell me how it's going to work out. And it's like, it's, this doesn't work that way. We say yes to God. We offer our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. We say yes to him. We surrender our will. That means our job. That means our family. That means our finances. That means our talents. God, I am offering all of it. I'm surrendering all of it to you. Now you tell me what you want me to do. And when we begin to have that attitude, then we begin little bits and pieces to understand God's will in our life. So, so the opposite tends to happen, though. The opposite of what people want is that they want to never be in church, never follow God, never, never really have him a part of their life. They went to church when they were little. And then it's like a problem exists in a marriage, a problem exists with a teenager, and then they show up to church and it's like, God, I need an answer and I need it like now. And then they want to talk to other people. I've got this problem and I need it fixed and I need this answer and I need everything to be changed and I, I, I need it by the end of the week. Preferably, please, God. And God's like, it doesn't work that way. You want your kids. You want these situations. You want all this stuff. You want to know God's will in all of these areas. It starts with a posture of surrender. And then little bit by little bit by little bit, God reveals his will to you. So three uh, areas as we look a little bit closer at the posture of surrender. First of all, if you're taking notes, this posture of surrender is voluntary. It says offer or present. So I can't make my student, I can't make my kids do this. You can't make your kids offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. You can't make your spouse. So, so there's no need in trying. You can't, you can't force this upon your boss. I mean, that doesn't work that way. It's a voluntary decision. It's me saying I surrender all with everything to God. And that's a personal voluntary decision. Secondly, it's practical. He says to offer your bodies. So there's a practical issue here. And we've all experienced this. There's been a meeting at work. There's been something take place. And it's like, 
well, I can't be there, but I'll be with you in what? Spirit. What a crock, man. That is such a cop out. With me in spirit? That does nothing for me, bro. So, so that does not. Listen, there, here's the difference. It's one thing to give money to missions. It's another thing to offer your body and go on the mission field for two weeks. It's a little bit different. So don't, let me give an eye. I'm with you guys in spirit, man. I'm praying for you. Well, way to go. We need some bodies, man. We need some willing, practical bodies willing to serve, willing to step in and do the work of the ministry. None of this with you in spirit or I'll just give. And, no, no, no. We, God offers once our body. There's a practical issue going on here. What we surrender is not demonstrated by what we say. It's demonstrated in how we live. So it's not, it's not you know, we don't see this in what people say because people talk a good game, but it is demonstrated in how we live. We all want to say that we worship God. We all want to say that, yeah, God is number one in my life, but at the end of the day, what does our life look like? What is the posture of our life? Because we can talk about it, we can even show up from time to time, but the posture of my life will reveal where my heart is. And finally, this sacrifice is complete. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. The sacrifice is complete. It's not halfway. It's not riding the fence. It's, it's all or, or nothing here. And so what's, what's funny about a sacrifice is when we hear that, we automatically think something's dying. So it's like a sacrifice. He wants me to die. What? No, he calls it a living sacrifice. And so the living sacrifice, here, here's the problem with the living sacrifice. You, you, you guys know what I'm about to say. The problem with the living sacrifice is that it can, it's, it, it can crawl off the altar. <laughs> And so that's why it's a, it's a daily commitment. It's a daily focus and posture and attitude. You might have been super, you know, follower of Jesus last year, but for the last year you've been vacant. You've been absent. So it's like, what, what's happening? And, and God is like, come on, offer your body, man. Serve, plug in, follow, give everything that you are. Surrender to this God who, remember, doesn't need a counselor, you can't give him anything. So it's not like God's after your money. It's like we're after people's, you know, resources. Like you can't give him anything that he doesn't already owe. If he wants it, he can take it whenever he wants. It's not what it's about. It's about you understanding and following and presenting your body as a living sacrifice. See, this is complete. This is 100% all of me. With everything that I am, God, with everything that I am, I want to commit it to you. I want to commit to you in this area of my life as it relates to finances, as this area of my marriage. And, and that doesn't mean that you have all the answers in all those areas. It means that the posture of your life is now and in the future. A posture of, God, you're in control. The answer is yes. Show me what you want me to do. And as you take that posture, God begins to answer. God begins to show. God begins to bless. God begins to open up your eyes and your mind in areas that you didn't even see. You were blinded to them. That's why the Bible says the God of this world has blinded us. There are some blinders on in the room today. So it's like my prayer is God unblind us in these areas. We might be a Christian but still blinded in areas of weakness and areas that we're suffering because of sin in our life. And, and we offer our body as a living sacrifice, we surrender it to him. God can take those down. God begins to answer. God begins to open our 
heart. We're going to close today with a song called With Everything. I thought it was a fitting end because that's our heartbeat, that we would, with everything that we are, worship him. With everything that you are today, you will surrender to him. And so the challenge and the response for you today is to say, I, yeah, I, I surrender with, with everything. Yeah, you know what the, what the universal symbol for surrender is? There you go. Somebody just did it. Hands up, you know. You could be in China. You can be in Africa where they don't speak English. But if somebody comes up on you and you're like, bro, you know, they know exactly what you mean. I surrender. I wonder what it would look like if, if in this room with hundreds of people here today, if each of us in our own way began to surrender our life to God, whatever that means, whatever area you've been kind of taking the wheel and kind of driving the deal and kind of taking the lead, that you would surrender that to God with hands lifted high. The response for us is, is to not only sing it, but to mean it and to live it. And so as, as James and the folks lead us this morning, not only do I want you to sing, my challenge is for you to mean, and my challenge is for you, if you're surrendering, to actually show God, to show him today that I, in fact, with everything that I am, God, I have been holding on into this area. I've been holding on and I've been taking charge and I've been leading and I've been selfish and I've been prideful. And God, I just want to say to you that I am letting go. I surrender it to you. Only you can fix it. Only you can change it, God. I can't do it without you. And I surrender it all with everything that I am to you today. What would it look like? How would it change our church? How would it change your family? If you truly surrendered it to him and followed him and walked with him as a living sacrifice, next week we're going to see that his will is, is holy, it is pleasing, and it is good, it is what we desire. And yet we, we try to chase around, you know, all these you know, financial dreams and all these other little things that we think are going to make us happy and, and we think that are pleasing and are good and, and all we do is end up running around in circles. And God's like, over here is pleasing and good. You've got to surrender that stuff and come with me and follow me and trust me. No matter where you're at today, the altar is open. The decision for you, if you've never accepted Christ, Come forward. Our counselors will be to your right at this door. They'd love to help you walk with you, share with you today. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship him today.